Good morning. It's a joy to be here with you this morning. Will you pray with me? Lord, more than watchmen for the morning, we wait for you today. Lord, in every trial and loss, our hope is in the cross where your compassions never fail. I pray that, that on this morning that we would be like, like watchmen just waiting for the morning, wanting to spend time with you, wanting to meet with you, wanting to fall more deeply in love with you, to be fed by you, to be satisfied by you, to find our sufficiency in you. May every part of our hope be in you, Christ, and in the gospel and what you've accomplished for us. I pray that on this morning that you would increase in our lives, Lord, that we would decrease and that we'd find ourselves just with a a much bigger view of you, Lord, when we walk out of these doors, Lord, than when we had entered. We're thankful for grace. We're thankful for you, Lord. Give us strength this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. About 14 years ago, um, I proposed to my wife And in the midst of that proposal, there was a sermon to my one audience, my wife. She says it was a sermon. It was. (laughs) But it came from Habakkuk 3, verse 17 and 18, which says this, So the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, Though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The reason why that was what I shared with her. The reason why that is engraved on the inside of my wedding ring. As my wife had that done was because I didn't know what this race was going to look like. just didn't know. 14 years ago, proposed to her. She was marrying an old guy. She was marrying someone that had a passion to go into ministry, to serve the Lord, whether it be here or even to the uttermost parts of this world. And uh, I didn't know what that race was going to look like. I just didn't know. But I knew that in that race, if the fig tree didn't blossom, if, uh, if there wasn't fruit on the vines, if the labor of the olive failed and the fields yielded no food, and if the flock was going to be cut off from the fold, and if there was going to be no herd in the stalls, yet, because that's bad, right? And that day, that's bad. Yeah, we were going to rejoice in the Lord. 
we were going to joy in someone that would never change. And that was going to be the God of our salvation. And so here we are today. When it came time to preach the first sermon at, sermon at reverence, which was 13 years ago, last September 4th. And when I tried to think of what text to preach on 13 years ago, for the first sermon of Reverence Bible Church, meeting at Tribuca Hills High School there in the multipurpose room, when I thought, what would be the best text to just start this church out? The Lord led me to Revelation chapter 19, verse 6, where it says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as a sound of many waters, and as a sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. He reigns. The Lord God omnipotent, the all-powerful one, he reigns. And as a result, we worship him. We worship him. And we will for all eternity. In these 14 years, in these 13 years since the church started, every one of us has run this race that has been set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, We've run with you guys, and I look around the sanctuary, I see people who, your spouses have gone home to be with the Lord in these 13 years. Family members. Um, I spoke with some people that are new to the church over the last couple of years, and I didn't know this about them until the last month or so. But there's two families within our church that I just learned of in the last month or so where they had children, daughters, one daughter in each family, murdered. I didn't know that. Murdered. The heartache that would come was something like that. Like the... The run in a race and seeing something that's just so unexpected come your way that you never would have anticipated. Losing a child like that. Some of you have fought cancer. Some of you have fought cancer with loved ones and they've lost. There's been children who have passed. And there's been difficulties all around. Yet, we can rejoice in the Lord and we can joy in the God of our salvation, can't we? It's different than it is for some because we serve a God in whom we can honestly say, hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent, he reigns. He is in control and he is sovereign. Over all circumstances. 
He is good and he is kind and he is gracious. When in running this race, we, we fall. We find grace that abounds, don't we? When we find heartache, we find a Savior who clings to us and loves us through it. And so this morning, as we talk about how to worship him, how to run this race and to do these things and to do these things in such a way that, that he is most honored, I wanted to spend our time this morning in Psalm 16 and read from the psalmist here. Because he seems to have gone through things like this. Things that were difficult, were hard, brought heartache. And so the Holy Spirit inspired the psalmist, David, to write these things. Write these things down. Write it word for word, just like this, because it is going to be recorded in Holy Scripture so that for millenniums, people will read upon these things and be ministered to and to be blessed and to be taught how it is that we run, how it is that we run and how it is that we look upon our Savior. Let's read through the entirety of the psalm and then we'll take it apart verse by verse. Psalm 16, verse one. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you've said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I've set the Lord always before me, and because he's at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to seek corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so he begins, preserve me, preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. This is a prayer that all of us could pray, isn't it? It's a prayer that, that you will pray or you should pray countless times in your life. And the repetition of that prayer would be of the utmost appropriateness preserve me oh god in this trial preserve me keep me keep me safe keep me from sin keep the safe harbor i need in the midst of this greatest of storms just preserve me in this preserve me oh god through this temptation preserve me oh god because i'm afraid Preserve me, O God, because I'm unable to do this on my own. Preserve me, O God, because the hurt is greater than I can bear. Preserve me, O God, because I'm hanging by the end of a rope and I don't think I can continue. 
Preserve me, O God, because my enemy is like a roaring lion and there's nothing he desires more than to devour me. Preserve me, O God, because I feel so alone. Preserve me. You hear his heart, just preserve me. I need you to preserve me, O God. I can't do it by myself. You need to preserve me. You need to keep me. The opposite of preserve me is that I fall, that I unravel, that I rot and I'm lost for all eternity, that I have no one to trust, that I'm without hope, that there's just darkness and there's pain around me. And that's the opposite. And he's saying, I don't want that. I don't want to fall. I don't want to be lost. I don't want to rot. I don't want to lose everything. God, preserve me. Keep me. The psalmist is not without hope. He's far from it. He has someone to call on. He has someone to cling to. He has someone to trust. He cries out to Almighty God. Do you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Thrown into a fiery furnace that's heated seven times hotter than normal. This fiery furnace, and here Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of God, and they are taken and they're thrown into this furnace. The heat is so great that the mighty men of valor who throw them in are consumed and die just from the heat as they're throwing them in. There's walls that are surrounding them, there's no place to run. They've been tossed into a furnace that guarantees complete destruction and disintegration. But they called upon a mighty God who was willing and able to what? To preserve them. Preserve them. Whatever our circumstances are is nothing compared to like walls around you in seven times hotter than normal where the mighty men of valor just get torched to death as they throw you in. And yet in the midst of that, what can he do? He can preserve you. He can preserve me. Our God shuts the mouths of lions. He separates the waters of the Red Sea. He causes manna to fall from heaven and he makes the walls of Jericho crumble. He calms storms and he heals the sick and he raises the dead. He's able to preserve you and when you call upon him and trust him in the most difficult and darkest of hours, he is able. That is the God that we serve. So when the psalmist calls out, preserve me, this is the one who shuts lions' mouths. Makes walls crumble. Makes storms cease. Makes the sick well. Makes the dead rise. He gives us story after story after story after story that proves to each and every one of us that he is a God who can preserve us. He's trustworthy. Jude tells us that he can keep us from stumbling and present you faultless before the the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He can preserve us. David calls upon him to preserve him. And then he says, for in you I put my trust. In you I put my trust. Our God is absolutely trustworthy. He remains faithful when we're faithless. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He began a good work in us. He'll be faithful to complete it. He loves us with an unconditional love. Get that? An unconditional love. It's not based on us. It's not based on performance. It's not based on how well we're running. He loves us unconditionally. Where sin abounds, grace abounds what? Much more. He's all-powerful and he does not change. He is trustworthy. He is the one in whom we can put our trust. 
Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah 17, 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Oh, how happy, how filled with joy is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought nor will cease from yielding fruit. It will happen. Oh, how happy is the one who trusts in the Lord. Just like this tree that's there. And where is it planted? Right by the river. That river just flows. Just flows. You go up to Yosemite. Some of those waterfalls, they start to, to peter out at about this time of the year. But there's some that just keep going, don't they? You go to Niagara Falls, what happens? Water just keeps coming. It just keeps coming and coming and coming. You, you could go there any time of the year and I don't think you'll ever be disappointed. You'll never go there and be like, where is it? It just keeps coming. To be a tree that's planted by a river like that where you just know the water's there, your leaf will be green. You don't need to be anxious when there is a year of drought. You're not going to cease yielding fruit. Because you trust in the Lord. Think of Job losing 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 male donkeys, his servants, but especially seven sons and three daughters all killed in a day. He loses his health, top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And his response is in Job 13.5, though you slay me, yet I'll trust you. Though you slay me, yet I'll trust you. Some of us here this morning can think of times in our lives where we felt like that has happened. Slayed. Just slayed. And to have a view of God in the midst of all of those things is, in the midst of all of those things, Yet I'll rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. To have a view of God's sovereignty in the midst of whatever may come by your path, whatever valley of the shadow of death that you are in, to be able to, to view a God in the midst of that race that says, Hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. He reigns. To be able to serve a God who in the midst of all of these things, we can trust that he works all things together for good. It is only someone with a view of God like that that can say things like, though you slay me, yet I will trust you. You let this come. If this is your desire in my life to teach me, to mold me, to conform me into your image, I will trust you. I'll trust you. The psalmist's hope for, for being preserved didn't come from the fact that he was just a great guy. Look at the next verse. verse six, chapter 16, verse 2. Oh, my soul, you've said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. The psalmist recognizes 
when he's calling upon the Lord to preserve him. That it is not because he's a good guy. Right? If your theology is good enough, you know that apart from him, you can do what? Nothing. If your theology is solid, you know that you are a sinner through and through. Your righteousness is like filthy rags in the sight of God. You're not good. There's none good. No, not one. There's not even any that seek after him. We all were running away from him. We were all going in the opposite direction of him. When he saved you, it wasn't because you figured it out. When he saved you, it is because his grace came upon you and he sought you when you were running away. It's all of grace. Every bit of it. Our theology is such that we know that we are beggars that are empty-handed and we got nothing to offer God. If this comes as a surprise to you, please know it is absolutely biblical that there is none good, no, not one. There's none righteous. God tells us that the inclination of man's heart was only evil continually. They were haters of God. They loved darkness rather than the light. We wanted nothing to do with him. And so when the psalmist is looking at this, he just recognizes my goodness It's nothing apart from you. You're the source of it. He's the vine. We are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Get to be in this place and to say, but I am good. I can approach his throne boldly because I have a righteousness that's not my own that has been given to me. And it is the very righteousness of Christ. Romans 3.21 says this, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Brothers and sisters, this is the best news that you could ever hear. If you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever, know that the reason why Christians are righteous is, is not because we've done good things. We are righteous because the righteousness of Christ has been placed upon our account and our sins, our debt was placed upon his account as he hung on the cross. That's the gospel. We are not good people apart from him. And yet to think, regardless of how many times we have fallen, regardless of how many failures there have been, regardless of whatever it is in your past that you have done, to know that that has been hurled into the depths of the sea and it has been replaced with the righteousness of Christ to where he tells us things like you're clothed with robes of righteousness. To to, to think that you will stand before God and he will never see you as anything less than as perfect as his son because you have the righteousness of Christ on your account. That is hopeful to me. So when he says, preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust, the next thing is, my goodness is nothing apart from what? Apart from you. You give me the goodness. 
We think of those who have gone before us. Like I mentioned, people who have lost spouses in this sanctuary right now. Have lost loved ones. To think that they could be before God. Not because they lived a perfect life, but because they served a perfect God. A perfect Savior who gives us his righteousness. It's the best news that anybody could ever hear. I don't want to stand on my goodness. I got nothing. I got nothing apart from him. As for the saints, verse 3, who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Um, When I read that, I thought of you all. The saints. God's people. Excellent ones. The psalmist got this. They are my delight. They're my delight. That's how we're supposed to be as a church. That's how we're supposed to be. A delight to one another. An encouragement to one another. To be those who build each other up, show grace to one another, love each other unconditionally, minister one to another, stir up the gifts that are within us for the edification of the whole body, praying for one another, loving one another, even as we would desire to be loved. Not showing partiality, including everybody, and being a family that acts like that. The psalmist is saying, the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. May we say things like that. He goes from there to verse four and says, their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. I'm not going after false gods. I'm not going to be intertwined with the things of this world. I will be set apart. I won't go after their gods. He alone has my affection. And we find that in the next verse where he says, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. You're my portion. You're the portion of my inheritance. You're my cup. You're what I desire. The psalmist said in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? I mean, like when you think of just a difficult and dark time, when you think of a good time where things are going well, when you think of whatever it is that you're in right now, To be able to say a prayer like this, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's none on the earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He is my portion forever. If you have God as your portion, you have need of nothing else. The one who has God has everything. We are not to be looking towards the temporal things of this world, but to the eternal things of the Lord. 
When God is our portion, we can lose everything this world has to offer, but our joy remains because we cannot lose Christ. He says, you're my portion forever, my portion. How is he our portion? The very righteousness of Christ? Forgiveness of sin? Every sin removed as far as the east is from the west. When I say he's our portion, I, I, I want to emphasize and, to, and take a moment to emphasize. It means it doesn't get better than this. It doesn't get better. It's not you're my portion, God. At least most of my portion, but I kind of top off the cup with, with stuff. With family, with a good job, with a really sweet vacation, with good health, with eternal youth. He doesn't say anything like that. It's just, you're my portion. It doesn't get better than that. Does it get better than, I get your righteousness? It just doesn't. Does it get better than every sin is removed? Every one of them is removed. It just doesn't get better than that. You said this morning, think I, I, I wish that nobody ever finds out this, 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 or this in my life. And God just says, no matter, it's hurled into the depths of the sea. It's remembered no more. It was nailed to the cross. That's good news for us. He's our portion because there is abounding grace. It just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. He's our portion because he has unending mercy. He's our portion because he has unconditional love that he gives us. Unconditional. It'll never get better than what it is. He's our portion because we're joint heirs with Christ. He's our portion because of the precious, saving blood of Christ. He's our portion because he gives us joy, inexpressible and full of glory. He's our portion because we get to behold his glory for all eternity. It's no wonder that the psalmist said, there's one thing that I've desired of the Lord and that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to behold his, the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. The reason why the psalmist says something like that, the reason why the Holy Spirit inspired him to say something like that is because in all of this life, regardless of what the race looks like, we can say there's only one thing that I desire and that is to dwell with him all the days of my life. He's my portion. He is my sufficiency. He is all that I need. I could lose everything, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God, in the God of my salvation. He is everything to me. Everything. We get communion with him. We get fellowship with him. It is no wonder that the psalmist wants to stay close to him. Look at verse seven. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. I worship him. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. He's given me his word. And as a result, I will praise him. Everything that we need for life and for godliness is found in the pages of scripture. These truths are ingrained within our minds. The Holy Spirit indwells within us to where even at night, just laying there, you instruct me, you teach me, 
just want to be close to you. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be moved. He's always before me. Christ, as we see in this psalm, it's looking ahead to Christ. It's a picture of Christ. It's looking ahead to his resurrection and what was accomplished through Christ. But he's the perfect example of having always set the Lord always before him. And so the psalmist says this. I've set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be moved. How did that look like in the life of Christ? Do you remember he says, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Mom, dad. I had to be about my father's business. Jesus said in John four thirty four, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's my food. I just want to do his will. John eight twenty nine, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. I've set the Lord always before me. I always do those things that please him. You hear his prayer in John 17 where he says, as he lifts his eyes towards heaven, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you as you've given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you've given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only God, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I've glorified you on earth. I've finished the work which you've given me to do. And now will Father glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And so you hear the prayer of Christ and it's just glorify yourself. I want to glorify you. I want to please you in everything I do, whether I'm at work or whether I'm at school or whether I'm a husband or whether I'm a a wife or whether I'm a mom or dad or single or in a hospital bed or going through another kind of trial or as a as an athlete or wherever it is i just want to glorify you i want to please you when you look at the life of christ do you not see that from beginning to end it is i'm about my father's business i just want to glorify him i want them to see him i want them to see his worth i want them to know him I want to be obedient to him. I want him to be exalted. I want them to be able to see that there's none in all the earth besides him. I want them to be able to see that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. I want them to see that he would give his even, even his own life for the ones that he loved. I want them to see that there's no greater love than this than to lay down your life. I want them to see it. I want you glorified. I want me glorified with you just like it has always been. And we watch that in the life of Christ where he is setting the Lord always before him. Always. And that's our example. Take our lives and to say, in every area, what I watch on TV, what I look at on the computer, how I am a dad, how I am a mom, how I deal with singleness, how I glorify him through whatever my circumstances are. In marriage, in divorce, in heartache, in plenty, I want him glorified. I have set the Lord always before me. Christ didn't have a place to lay his head, yet he never complained. 
He set the Lord always before him. He was mocked, he was falsely accused, he was spit upon, he was beaten, yet he opened not his mouth because he set the Lord always before him. He spent his days in prayer and in sweet communion with the Father. He loved the Father and his words were those of adoration for his heavenly Father. The very words he spoke were scripture and he set the Lord always before him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. It's no wonder that we ought to want a God like that, to spend time with a God like that. In the scripture reading, and then in the last song that we sang, I want to look at it just for a moment because it matters. The psalmist is saying, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark my iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? If if, if you're going to mark my iniquities, I can't stand. Who can stand? Nobody can stand. But there's forgiveness with you. There's forgiveness with you. That you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits And in his word, I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. More than the watchmen. Wait for the morning or watch for the morning. Picture it. You live in this time. Is there a lot of strong flashlights? No. Are there motion-censored lights that come on when someone walks into the no-fly zone? No. You're sitting there and you're there. Maybe you got a wall. Maybe you don't. But you're the watchman. You're in battle. People want to hurt you. People want to kill you. People want to overtake your land. And so you're a soldier and your job is stay up tonight. You're the watchman. And so some are sleeping. But you're the watchman and you're waiting. And there's sometimes where there's just beautiful stars outside. There's a full moon. You can see a lot, right? Sometimes. Sometimes not. Have you ever been someplace where it's just dark? It's so dark you can't see. Like you, you put your hand there and you're like, I can't see my hand right in front of my face. And so I, I'm picturing that, at least on some of the nights. And I'm picturing a watchman and he's there and he maybe has some kind of weapon. Probably not anything too sophisticated. And he's listening. Now, if you're in a situation like that, what do you hear? You hear everything, don't you? What's that? What was that? Right? Sounded big. It can't be. It can't be an animal. Too big for an animal. And you're like, you can't see. Maybe they can see you, but you can't see them. And you're just sitting there and heart just racing. Like, I just want it to be morning. Right? I just want the sun to come up so I can see there's no bad guys out there that want to hurt me. I just want morning. I want the sun to rise. I want to see morning. I want it to come up so that I don't have to be afraid anymore. So I don't have to wonder what every little crackle is that's out there. I just want morning. And so you see him, the psalmist saying, my soul waits for the Lord. More than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. I just want him. Why would he say that? 
Because Him, He, Christ, our Lord, is desirable like that. We should want Him like that. We should desire Him like that. He is worth that kind of affection. If you're in the place of like, all right, I'll give Him like 15 minutes of time in the Word, hopefully, today. Or, will we pray before meals? Or, well, I go to church every week. You don't get it. You don't get that he's way more desirable than, oh yeah, he's got a little part of my life right here. Brothers and sisters, he is your portion. He is your inheritance. He is the one that you should desire more, yes, much more than the one who is waiting for the morning. So the psalmist says, I've set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. Do you see how the psalm ends? It starts out, preserve me, O God. I'll trust in you to Therefore, as a result of who he is, as a result of what he has done, my heart is glad. My glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you, you'll not leave my soul in shield, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Cause Christ to rise from the dead. You'll show me the path of life. And in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Forevermore. In his presence, fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures. Pleasures. Forevermore. He is our portion. It's as good as it could possibly be. He is the one that is there to hold us. His right hand upholds us. Almost eight months ago, Emily Kate was born. If you have not met her, she is the cutest kid at this church. Just kidding, kind of. <laughs> Crawling at six months. Just wants to be on the move. Right now, she does this. She just walks along the couch, walks along the table. But she can't do it on her own. If she tries to do it on her own, it, it, it does. It, I guarantee she'll fall. Guaranteed, at least for another couple weeks. But it, if my right hand is there and I grab hers, she could walk just fine. She could walk just fine. It's the God that we serve. His right hand upholds us. If you don't have his right hand, I guarantee you'll fall. You don't, you don't make it. But his right hand upholds us. And the one who's holding your hand, he'll show you the path of life. 
he will show you where that lot will fall. He's sovereign over the lines, over the boundaries. He's sovereign over it all. There's nothing that takes him by surprise. When the fig tree isn't blossoming, when there's no herd in the stalls, it has not taken him by surprise. He'll show you the path of life. And you can be guaranteed of this. In his presence, fullness of joy. At his right hand, pleasures, pleasures forevermore. Is it no wonder that the psalmist inspired by the Holy Spirit said, you are my portion, you are my cup, you are my inheritance, you are everything to me? It is because he cannot get better than that. You cannot improve upon him. Impossible. And that is whom we serve. And that is whom we will close in prayer towards and we will worship with all that is within us on this morning. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, certainly there's people here this morning who need to be preserved, all of us. What a joy it is to trust you. What a joy it is to know that things don't come to us by chance, but by your fatherly hand, by grace. What a joy it is to know that you work all things together for good. It's a joy to know that there's nothing that's too hard for you. You preserve Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You shut lions' mouths. Cause walls to crumble. You healed sick. You raised the dead. You take hearts that are hard and you soften them. You take eyes that are blind and you open them so we can see your worth. You display yourself to us in the pages of Scripture in such a way that our view of you grows. You become that much greater to us. And, and you give us every reason to praise you. Our cups are full and even overflowing running over. You're a portion. You're an inheritance that's incorruptible and it's undefiled and it doesn't fade away. You are our inheritance. When we get to heaven, we get you. For all eternity, fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore, entering into the joy of the Lord, that is what we get and it is because you are our God, you are our Savior, you are our sustainer, you are the one who began a good work in us and be faithful to complete it. You carry us as we run this race. And I pray, Lord, that we as your people would pray prayers like Psalm 16. And we as your people would want nothing more than you for all eternity, our portion, our cup, our inheritance. May we trust in your sovereign hand and may we find ourselves treasuring, treasuring, treasuring you above everything else this world could ever offer. More than watchmen for the morning, Lord. May we wait for you, desire you, long for you. 
As a psalmist said, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you like in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your glory and your power. May we do that on this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.